Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. We are back today in our special time that we're having of women in ministry and lifting up women's voices this summer. And I am so thrilled with my guest today, Jerusalem Greer. And I will tell you more about Jerusalem in just a minute. But we're going to continue with our prayer that we have been praying this entire time, the prayer of St. Francis. So the Lord be with you. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O God, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds, it's in pardoning that one is pardoned, it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen. That's a little bit different version. There's several different versions of this prayer. So I've been trying different ones. But I am so glad to introduce you to Jerusalem Greer. Jerusalem is the staff officer for evangelism. She works for our beloved presiding bishop, Michael Curry. Jerusalem, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I know. I'm glad, too. Um, You've been promoting the Bible of podcasts for us through the Episcopal Church, and we're really grateful for that. So what I wanted to do with Jerusalem today is what we've been doing sort of through this whole series is for her to kind of talk about her life and her ministry and where she's going next. She's having some big changes in her life. So Jerusalem, you grew up Southern Baptist, right? Yes. And where did you grow up again? So I grew up all over. My father, um, I come from a long line um, of Southern Baptist ministers. My husband jokes that I'm Southern Baptist royalty, um, at least in Arkansas, which is where my family is originally from. Um, but my dad was a Southern Baptist minister, and he was a great preacher, um, but he wasn't the best pastor. Pastoral gifts were not his thing. And so we moved a lot. Um, and he was aware of that. Like I'm not talking, you know, anything yeah, he would right. have known. He knew that. Um, so I grew up all over from Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida, and I spent the, the longest chunk of my childhood, my adolescence in Juneau, Alaska, um, before moving back to Arkansas to go to college. Um, at the family alma mater, Washita Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. It's a mouthful. Um, but that, so that's kind of, I lived all over total preacher's kid life. Um, my grandfather and my Southern Baptist. all Southern Baptist, right? Deep Southern Baptist roots. Yeah. So 
when did you find the Episcopal Church? Um, well, I officially found the Episcopal Church and probably I would have to go back and, and do some digging as far as like when I first really started um, thinking about the Episcopal Church. But I, I like to say that like I was following Holy Spirit breadcrumbs, you know, like my whole life. Um, so the way I am wired is I have always loved both church work and the work of the church, even since I was a little kid. I was organizing trying to organize my friends to do church-wide things or church events as early as like eight, nine, 10. Like I just was always in, yeah, yeah. In the middle um, of everything. In fact, when I was about 14, um, I was the one that was planning like, and, and it wasn't a big church. It was, um, uh, you know, I mean, well, it depends in context, right? For a Southern Baptist church, it wasn't a big church. Um, <laughs> but uh, our church in Juneau, you know, a hundred members or so. And I was at 14 in charge of planning um, the Harvest Festival. And I like had adults that like did my bidding, <laughs> right? Uh, and that sort of thing. So I was always kind of in... Um, deep into it. Your whole yeah, life. deep into it. My whole life. And I didn't even really understand that this wasn't normal. I just kind of assume this is what, how all Christians functioned, um, in life, that they were all deeply attracted to ministry sorts of things. But because I was raised Southern Baptist, I didn't think of myself as a minister, right? Because women weren't, um, I mean, there were women in ministry, children's direct ministry directors, you know, um, those sorts of things, but that label wasn't always really used. And so I just didn't think of it that way. I just thought of it as just being myself and doing what anybody would do. Um, the other funny thing about me growing up is that I was obsessed with Martha Stewart from the age of 10. Um, and my dog now is named Martha Stewart. And so I, my mom got her first book when I was 10 years old and I pretty much just stole it and just poured over it. And so I've always loved both, um, entertaining, hospitality, whatever you want to call it, party throwing, um, events, all of those sorts of things. And was always, um, trying to put on those sorts of things, like in our, in our home, in our church, like I I mentioned. Um, but because of the tradition I grew up in, I didn't completely understand that there were, um, there were ways to basically be Martha Stewart for Jesus. Right. Um, and Mm -hmm. so the church I grew up in Alaska, um, it was kind of a melting pot and Alaska is very different than the South and other parts of the country that we would use the term churched for. Um, it's very, it's not average to go to church. It's not the common thing. It's not normal. And so you don't always pick a church based on your denomination affiliation, just more than one you like. Right. So, because there's so few of them. And so the church that my father was the pastor of in Juneau, um, was really a melting pot of people from different traditions who had just landed at this particular church. And so we did things like Advent wreaths, um, even though that really wasn't part of any other Baptist experience that I had had because there were people that were, you know, who had been grown up Lutheran or, or Methodist or whatever at, at that church. Um, they wanted to do Advent wreaths and my dad was pretty progressive and he was like, Oh, okay. So, so I love that sort of thing. I was drawn to that. I was like, Oh, this is cool. We're crafting for Jesus. Right. Like, um, like I was a kid that loved VBS. Um, so, so as I grew, as I got older, went to college, um, 
And in college, kind of broke away from Southern Baptist, became non-denominational, then became emergent, um, kind of went through these phases, kind of always searching. And the church, the first church that I was actually on staff at um, was a church that one of my uncles started that was non-denominational slash emergent. Um, and again, it was kind of a melting pot church. It was a church for people who had been hurt by church and, um, actually, and so it was, again, we had all these people coming to our church from different traditions and they were asking similar questions that the church and people in Alaska had asked, which is, you know, there's these things from that tradition that I really miss and, and could we do them? And so while I was on staff at that church, we started doing things like Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and again, Advent wreaths. And I just got super curious about what all these extra basically parties were like, what are, they, what are these things? And that's, that led me to discovering the liturgical calendar. Um, I discovered Phyllis Tickle and her work in the middle of that and her, um, uh, book the the Farm and Lucy series. A lot of people know her for her work in the on the emerging church and emergence movement. But she has a ton of writing before that that's just really beautiful. And um, her Farm and Lucy series really follows kind of the liturgical calendar with with narrative and stories. And so I just started researching the heck out of the liturgical calendar. And um, by this time I had little kids and I wanted to be able to do things with them at home. I was homeschooled about half my life. And so I kind of have this semi, I did not homeschool my kids, but I kind of have this semi homeschool approach to child raising, right? So like, we're going to be super creative and, and, we're going to do all these. Oh, and parents are responsible for that too. Yeah. You know, it's not right. just the church. It's, right. I mean, it's, I have to tell you, we are kindred spirits because when I was in seminary at seminary, of the Southwest, the um, Dean, Cynthia Bridge Kittredge, I did all the hospitality and she said, we don't know what to do with you, Mary Balfour. You are like Martha Stewart who loves Jesus. We have no idea what to do with you. And so we are like very similar in that. And um, I'm the same way. My, my, my parishioners are like, why are you cleaning the coffee up? And I'm like, you're the priest. You don't have to do that. And I'm like, this is what I love to do though. Like this is, and this is my parish too. And I want to give back and I want to do. And I think that's different because they've never had a female priest before. So they're like, <laughs> Why is she doing that? They've never had the hospitality, you know, that all of that and the welcoming. Well, I'm so glad you found the Episcopal Church because A, we desperately need you. And B, it just seemed to sort of bring all those interests that you had, right? And the liturgy. And I'm assuming you were very drawn to the liturgy. Very um, drawn to the liturgy. Yeah. I'm very drawn to the liturgy. Um, the whole thing, right? Like this is one of the things yeah. I love so much about the Episcopal church and, and the way we ended up in the Episcopal church in particular, a, of course is the liturgical calendar is it was my gateway, right? It was, it was the way in, but at the same time that I was discovering all that and our, my husband and I, a lot of our theology was shifting and, and growing and blossoming. And we really wanted to be in an affirming church, um, a church where women could, ordained or just in ministry period where it just wasn't like a big deal anymore. Um, not that there aren't still issues, but you know what I mean? Just kind of in the yeah. overall ethos. Kind of of, a lot of right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, 
so in Arkansas, you know, there's very few options for all of those things to come together. And so we did, we ended up at the Episcopal church. Um, and the first time I heard the Psalms chanted, I just wept. Like I had, they finally made sense to me. Um, but I just, I love that there was a theme that there for everything, that there were seasons, that there were meanings. I mean, and I know we don't always do a great job about teaching this. It, it's kind of parish to parish and priest to priest. Um, but everything, everything has a purpose and a meaning and, and as a thought, like even how the candles are lit and unlit or set on the table or, um, you know, all these different things, the way our churches are built and how things are positioned in the room and what the colors are for each season, it all has meaning and purpose. And that just made my heart just sing. Um, and because it yeah. wasn't, you know, whenever I do a funeral or a wedding and there's people that are not Episcopalians there, they're like, you did such a good job. That liturgy is so beautiful. And I'm like, I didn't write it. Like this, <laughs> this is the way we do this, right? right. Like this, right. we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you loved it, come back, you know, like they want to give me some sense of ownership in that. And I'm like, this is, this is, it is so beautiful. Yeah. And that is attractive to so many people. You know, we are um, reading this summer for our summer book read at my parish, um, Rachel Help Evans, Searching for Sunday. And again, it sounds like y'all's paths are kind of similar in that. Like she was looking for that liturgy and that the Psalms made her cry, you know, all of those things. You're reminding me of her when you're telling your story, you know. I'll link that for people that want to read that book. It's a great one. Okay, yes. keep going. Tell us okay. what happened next. <laughs> so, so as all this was happening, um, I got to meet Phyllis Tickle, and which was just you know like I have like five celebrities I'd ever want to meet, and she was you know to me a celebrity. Um, I got to meet her and know her a little bit, and I had the idea for my first book, which is called A Homemade Year. Um, as I was going to sleep one night, like it was one of those things, like I can remember it still so vividly. Like I was just about to drop off to sleep and this idea of taking my love of theology and now liturgy and these beautiful traditions and my love of all things, Martha Stewart and putting them together into one book. Like, could it be possible? And so I emailed her and asked her basically, did the book exist? Because, um, she would know, she knew what, everything that had ever been written, right? Like, cause she was uh, the religion editor for Publishers Weekly for years and years. And so if the book had already been written, she would know where it was. And she said that particular book, what you're talking about has not been written. It would be lovely and you should write it. Um, I had a blog and, and that sort of thing. And, and how what affirmation for Phyllis Tickle was that yeah. you should write this book. I mean, my and head exploded, right? Are amazing, y'all. I'm going to link them all. That's how I first learned about you, Jerusalem, was um, for the homemade year, which I just oh, wow. love. So um, I think that, I mean, I would, if Phyllis Tickle said, you should write a book, you know, I think I'd be right on it, you know? <laughs> yes. So like, okay. good for you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I did. I just kind of jumped in and, and developed an outline and a proposal. I mean, I had to go through all the usual things. She hooked me up sure. with a publisher. I mean, she recommended me to a publisher and, and and them to me. And so, but I had to do all the things I had to submit a proposal and go through all the hoops, um, which was great because it, it made me work and it helped me refine what I was trying to do. And so I wrote that book. And by the time that book came out, I was an Episcopalian, um, we had, you know, been confirmed and, and we were 100% in, um, and I had taken a, a time out from being 
from professional ministry while my boys um, were younger, kind of in between working for that non-denominational church and then another church after that. Um, I'd taken kind of a pause and worked at their school. I was on their school schedule and that sort of thing, uh, which I just loved. I always joked that it was like the closest I would ever get to homeschooling. Like I could be on their schedule. I could be in the building with them, but I was not responsible for their education. Right. Like, wow. um, and it was perfect. It was the perfect um thing for us, for our family in that season. But they, they were both about to transition and I just knew something was coming. Um, something different was on the horizon. And I really began to wonder if it was time to go back into ministry and vocate, you know, both professionally. And because my husband's so funny, he said, you just have like a target on your head for ministry. Like you walk in a church and even if you don't tell them anything within like a week, they have like a, you know, assigned you to lead something because you can't help it. It's just so who you are. And, um, well, it's God's call for you too. I mean, right. right? I mean, yes. yes. And you <laughs> yeah. can't ignore that. And you can't, no, you can't. So I was very blessed that I was able to, um, be, go on staff at a church in Conway, Arkansas, St. Peter's Episcopal Church as their minister for children, youth, and families. Um, My college roommate was the parish administrator and let me know like about the job opening. And it was just this beautiful, yeah, it was this great thing. And so I got to do that for about five years. Um, And in that time, I wrote my second book, At Home in This Life, um, which is more less about the liturgical year. And it's more about like Benedictine living at home. And, um, there's funny stories about me losing my mind, um, and things about renovating houses and planting gardens. And, and anyway, it's a, I think it's a fun book too. Um, and yeah, so, awesome. yeah, it was great. It was, that was, that was fun. And, um, and so while I was working on staff there, I was able to travel. Um, of course, I was traveling and speaking about some of my books and leading workshops. But then I was also able to go to professional development things, sort of like Forma, um, there, the conference that Alan um, started and did for a few years, which voices. Yes, that's missional it. voices. Missional voices um, was able to to participate in that, and just a few other things, and um, the Christian Formation Conference at Canuga, and just began to become more and more connected with the wider Episcopal Church formation world, especially. Um, and was really just it was it's like I had found my people at last, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> You're here. You're all here. I love that. I know what you mean. Like, I feel like something's wrong with me sometimes, but I'm like, I need my people. I need my Episcopal people that just talk the talk and walk the walk. And I get it. Yeah. I get you it. You hear about all the same things, right? Like I love my family and friends you know, that I have outside the Episcopal Church, of course, but they, they're not interested in just talking until 2 a.m. No. about these sorts of things, right? right. Like, they're just, they, yeah. they love yeah. me. But- you, don't even, you don't even want to be around me and my dad because we bore everybody to death <laughs> talking about the church yes. and God and Jesus and all those things. Yeah, right. for sure. I get it. Yeah. So it was just wonderful. And, um, and through that, you know, at that point, we had moved to where we currently live, um, which is a little eight-acre farm in Arkansas called Preservation Acres. It's a little hobby farm. And we were really kind of digging into 
Um, what does it mean to be good stewards of the land? How can the land and living on the land um, help us to grow closer to God, to each other, and to our neighbor? And and really, um, I would guess, I would say, my if, if anybody was like, well, what's your thing? I would say it's the theology of place, right? Like this theology of what God is doing in place. Yeah, and and so we were really working on on that and what it meant to be here and how we could share this, this farm. And, um, and so it was a really exciting time. And I got a call, um, from Jamie Martin Curry, who at the time was doing some consulting work for Episcopal Relief and Development. She's a formation leader. She was the president of Forma, I think maybe if not at that time, but right before then, um, she's amazing. And, uh, Episcopal Relief and Development was looking for someone to redo or to not completely redo, but update their abundant um, life garden project curriculum. Right. And right, right up uh, your alley. Right up my alley. And someone had given um, my name, I think Lisa Kimball had given my name to Jamie. And um, the really interesting thing about that timing that was such a God thing is that At Home in This Life had just come out. And, um, and it, it had done fine. It, it did fine, but it didn't kind of have the impact that I wanted. It came out at a weird time in the year and it kind of got lost in a bunch of things. And I was kind of having this crisis of identity. Like, who am I? Um, am I, and, and I can remember I was actually at Canuga at the Christian Formation Conference and I was in my cabin and I was just laying on the bed. It was like so hot. <laughs> I had like a fan on me and I was laying on the bed and I was just, kind of crying out to God and saying, okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go deep into the Episcopal church or do you want me to go broad across, you know, all denominations? Because I can speak both languages, right? Coming from the evangelical background, I can, I can speak both languages and and where is it? Where am I supposed to be? Um, And it wasn't, I don't know, six weeks later that I got that call from Jamie and she said, we, we would love, would you be interested in doing this project? And I was like, okay, God, here is the thing. It's all, it's formation, it's care creation, it's curriculum development, which I love. Um, and so that was, I really felt like in God, God said to me in that moment, I want you to go deep in the Episcopal church. I want you to go deep in this tradition. And that's when it really. And you already I mean, had your people. Right. You already had, had your people. I had my people. Yeah, I had found my people and um and so that is really when it kind of that's when things begin to really shift um in terms of me working on church-wide projects. That was probably my first what I would consider a church-wide project. And from there it just it felt like I was I don't know like taken in this stream that just rushed because from there I I got to do so many different curriculum projects and eventually worked with um Canon Stephanie Spellers contacted me about working on their evangelism curriculum. And, um, and it just, I mean, it just snowballed in the best possible way. It was just amazing. Um, and so that is kind of eventually what led to me working for the presiding bishop as I was doing all these curriculum things. And then I was consulting and, um, then the job for the staff officer for evangelism came open and I applied with a bunch of other amazing candidates. Um, it's kind of miraculous that I just, you know, 
can't believe I got the job when I look at who, um, my fellow colleagues were that applied for it. And, um, but it was so, it was just exciting. And it just, I really did feel just so, um, affirmed and led and, um, to do the church wide work. I just, I really enjoy church wide work. I think I'm a wired a little bit like my dad and I'm probably not as pastoral as, um, would be needed for constant parish ministry. Um, and it's not that I don't care about people. I do care about people, but I would say the draining on me, right? Like we just have different strengths and gifts and that sort of thing. And so, um, it's hard work. It it is. It is hard work. I mean, it is hard work. Um, having done parish had to put up with me, like I've got a funeral, I got to change this all around. And you were like, I get, it's okay. You know, I get it. And, um, but you know, let me, let me ask you a question in that. Cause I don't know if other people have asked you that this, but to me, you know, sometimes we often are like, Oh, the priest, the priest, the priest. And one of the things I love about you is, um, that you're not ordained and that you have just as much of a ministry as anybody as I do or, or, not, or even more so. And I think that is so beautiful for people to hear because I, I sometimes feel like people think, oh, you have to be ordained to be a minister. And that is just the absolute false neg- heresy. That's heresy, you know. And what you've done is you've walked through every door God has opened for you. You have cried out to God to say, lead me to the right place. And you are such a faithful minister. So it's not really a question, but I just, I want people to hear that, that you don't have to be ordained to be a minister, you know, you don't have to Um, ordain and talk about that. Yeah. In fact, I beg some people to not like, don't think this is the only option. Um, Right. Somebody asked me recently, like, how did you know, or how did you feel empowered with the gifts? And I will say that this is one of the gifts of the tradition I grew up in is that from the time you were born, you were told, right, that you are a minister of the gospel. I mean, like you are a minister of the gospel, period, from the time you can understand what those words mean. And so that has never been in question. I mean, because our... Our vocations, our identity, our calling, it comes from God. It does not come from an organization. It does not come from a structure, right? It, it comes from God and how that gets expressed looks differently based on the call. How that gets acknowledged in the world looks different based on the call, but the calls, all the calls come from God, um, from the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, what's really typical in our tradition, unfortunately, is that as soon as someone shows any sort of um, leadership or ministry capability, they immediately, people start going, when are you going to be ordained? When are you going to be ordained? I mean, I mean, I hadn't been confirmed two minutes and I started getting that question. Um, and sure. I had to do, I had to do a lot of discernment around that because it did look attractive. It did look um, in sure. terms of, uh, you know, it's nice to have an official stamp on your ministry, right? Like uh, one of the things I get frustrated about with lay ministry is that we don't have um, any obvious outward and visible signs of our call. Um, we don't have collars, we don't have stoles. And it's a very, it's a strange thing um, because you because we are sacramental people, we want outward and visible signs about things. And so like one of my dreams is that we would figure out something like, I don't know what it would be, but something that could be an outward and visible sign. 
yeah, of lay ministry. Um, I would love to see us start um, blessing um, ministries, the calls of people. Anytime a church hires, um, and and of course, there's different love. There's different expressions too. There's professional lay ministry. There's volunteer lay ministry. Um, there's all sorts of different kind. But I would love to see us. Uh, we have liturgies for a lot of these things. We just don't know how to employ them or we don't think to employ them, but to have, you know, the commissioning or the blessing of a new ministry, when you hire your children's minister or when you hire a new organist. Right. Um, So, well, thank you for that encouragement. I hope some people are listening because I, I actually just did one last week for the Eucharistic ministers and, um, the, folks that go out um, and take communion when I can't go. And then next we go and do one for the readers and the ushers, like just lifting these people up because I can't do this without them. And right. I don't want to do it with And you them. shouldn't. So I think, yeah. That, yeah, I think that's really, really important. And we need to do more of that. So any priests that are listening, commission, put it in your liturgy, make those lay people feel as special as you get to feel. Right. Um, because they are so important. All right. Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do two more things. First one is tell me what's next. Cause something new, exciting is happening for you next. Right. Oh, and yes. your family. Yes. Yes. So, uh, um, yeah. So we're, our family is about to make a big transition. So both of our sons, we have a 21 year old who just graduated college and a 17 year old who just graduated high school. Um, and so we are, we were already in a moment of transition and, um, we have had, we had this amazing opportunity, which again, there's no other explanation, but God, like we can't figure out any other way to talk about it. Cause it doesn't make any sense any other way, but we have partnered with our very good friends, Lisa Kimball and Trisha Lyons, um, whom a lot of you might know from BTS and other work. Um, and we have all come in together and we have this farm, this 140 acre farm in New Jersey, rural New Jersey. If people don't know there is a place called rural New Jersey and it is very rural. And, and um, there is a farmhouse and a cottage and a cabin and some barns and other outbuildings and a wooded area and pasture land and a river. Um, and it's called Stonebridge farm. And we are, all going in in this together to see what God wants to do with it. Um, our family is going to be the ones to live there and be the primary um, family on site. Um, Lisa and Trisha are going to stay at BTS and they have a cottage that they'll come up and, and be in. Um, there's some guest spaces and potential guest spaces. Um, so we are just, we don't know exactly what it's going to be. Is it going to be like part retreat center, part um, what we're calling like a farminary inspired by the work at farminary. Yeah. Like liturgical, uh, what I call agri, uh, agri ministry, like doing, you know, some of the like farm church and, and um, anyway, regation day things. And who, who even knows like camp outs. And um, so, so we don't know. So we have, so it's just exciting. We're going to be able to move and go there. My husband, who has long felt a call um, that his vocation has to do with the land and land management, but discovered that later in life and hasn't. Fig- we were never able to figure out how to make that transition here in Arkansas for him. Is going to be basically the farm manager of the whole place, and it's going to be Amazing. his job. And, 
Yeah. So it's a huge leap of faith. I mean, there's definitely a, a pay cut and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an adjustment, but our youngest son's going to be in college in New York city. Um, our oldest son is taking a gap year to be with us for the first year while he figures out his next steps regarding grad school and those sorts of things to help us get settled because it's a beautiful property and a beautiful structures. Um, it's been in the same family for about three generations, but it needs updating, you know? And so there's a lot of work ahead for all of us. Um, and this is God's farm. I mean, you know, we're going to live there. Yes, it's going to be our home, um, but it's God's farm. And we are super excited to discover what God is up to and what God is calling the six of us, our two households, and then everybody um, who has come alongside us, prayed for us, wants to be a part of it in the future. Like this, there's definitely like a larger community that's part of it too, right? Um, that's been a part of the larger story. And so, so we're going to make that move uh, this summer and get started. Um, it'll probably take us about, we've kind of set aside a year of discernment and discovery to figure out like exactly how we want to proceed. Because like I said, there's multiple structures, there's multiple projects. And what order do we want to do it? You know, should we do everything in? Um, and so there's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. It's a it's a big deal. We have lived, um, my husband has never lived outside of Arkansas. I haven't lived outside of Arkansas in 30 years. Um, we have a lot, you know, our families are here. Our, you know, our oldest friends are here in Arkansas. But we just felt like it was time. It was time to do something new and different. And God was calling to us. And I'm excited about being closer to, like you were saying, a lot of my Episcopeeps are in this area mm-hmm. of the world. Um, and, well, and you still have your job, right? Yeah, You're not job. losing your I'm, job. I'm not quitting my job. Oh, he- please, Jesus, no. Um, because this only yeah. works. <laughs> I have a job. Um, so, yeah. So and, and the, I'll be closer to my office. Your job are in New York. Yeah. So okay. you'll be closer yeah. to your office and you mm-hmm. can dig into those yeah. I'm so excited about this. And the second thing I wanted to say and encourage people that are listening, I have worked with Jerusalem on some projects. The work she does in evangelism is innovative, is creative, is thoughtful and centered in Jesus. And so reach out to her. We'll put all of her links to, um, because I know you feel so called to this work as well. And we know the presiding bishop is obviously very called to it, but he also has put some wonderful folks underneath him. And you are one of them to bring Christ to the world, right? I right. mean, that's yeah. what we're doing. That's what um, we're doing. And there's yeah. a lot of really cool, interesting ways to do that. So yeah. anyway, Jerusalem, I, the time goes so fast. Thank you so much for sharing your ministry and your life and being a woman in this world of ministry and just sharing God's love the way that you do. I'm really grateful for you. Well, thank you. Really Thanks for your listening. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And listeners, remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does.